There's no one true thing. What works for me may not work for you. You know, not everybody needs like EMDR, like not everybody needs to be on Xanax for a couple. No, the the whole world should be on Xanax. (laughs) Sorry, I I take that back. Welcome to So Sorry for Your Loss. This is not your average grief group. I'm Gianna DiMedio. Thanks for joining me as we normalize the conversation around grief with the stories of those who've gone through it, a whole lot of humor, and a pinch of celebrity and entertainment news. Because fun fact, they grieve too. There's more to grief than that godforsaken dove flying over a willow tree on a sympathy card. I know you've seen it and know what I mean. Let's change the way society looks at it. Visit ssfylpodcast.com for more. Hello, back on the East Coast. I'm not sure if I mentioned that in the 50th episode, but we are. We're back in uh, New Jersey. More cloudy than I would prefer it to be. Exceptionally more cloudy than our sunshiny locations of Florida and California recently, but we're making do. We have so much to unpack. You've probably seen it in my stories that there's like a million boxes throughout the house. Like Mark and I were standing in the kitchen on either sides of the island and could not see each other because that's how many boxes there were but day by day we're digging out of it exciting stuff last week with 50 episodes and the exciting stuff doesn't stop oh my gosh an incredible incredible guest today I will get into that in two seconds but just wanted to make you aware of the so sorry for your loss newsletter that has been going out I know I kind of like piecemeal them every now and then for like the past year but now it's official every other week you'll get a newsletter in your inbox with grief tips what's going on at SSFYL what new episodes are out what's coming up and eventually there will be a lot of information about the store that I'll be opening up. If you don't remember or haven't heard that episode, I'm opening a grief boutique, a modern sympathy shop. Next week, actually, I'll be giving an update on what is going on with that. And there's a portion of my interview with today's guest that we talked about sympathy gifts. So I actually took that and I didn't keep it in this episode. I'm saving it for next week. So When you love this episode, and I'm saying when, not if, because there's zero chance that you're not going to love this episode because the guest is incredible, make sure you stick around for next week's episode too because there's like a little bonus part that's going to be in there as well. So, okay, today's guest, Rebecca Sofer, the godmother of grief, the co-founder of Modern Loss, the writer of numerous pieces about grief that have brought it to the public in Time Magazine, New York Times, Refinery29, El Decor. I mean, it just keeps going on. She's been featured on CBS Sunday Morning, has spoken at Chicago Ideas Week, Amazon, HBO. She's everywhere. And it's so warranted because she is so vibrant in the way that she talks about this horribly, horribly dark topic. I can't even tell you how honored I am to have her on this podcast. Like, this is why I started this, because I saw what she did with Modern Loss and thought, hmm, you can talk about this in a different way. You can be a little provocative and put humor and sarcasm when talking about something that is generally so sad. And literally, this woman is why I'm here. And to have her on the show is a huge achievement for me. Even more so, she had asked if she could participate in the show around the time of her book coming out. This is her second book. It's called The Modern Loss Handbook, An Interactive Guide to Moving Through Grief and Building Your Resilience. Her very first one, co-wrote with Gabrielle Berkner, is Modern Loss, Candid Conversations About Grief, Beginner's Welcome. So she had said to me that it was coming out on May 17th. And that is 
a trigger day for me because that is when my dad first had the heart attack and first went into the hospital. So it was very, I don't know the word, is it serendipitous or just like the, the universe lining up because it was such a meaningful day for me. And now it's such a meaningful day for her. And it's the day that her book launches and... The fact that I could help her and, and and get the word out there about this incredible work that she's doing. It's just, I don't know. My dad's up there working some things. Her whole story is that both of her parents are there in heaven. We go through so much in this interview. She, like me, is an only child dealing with loss. It's It's a whole other type of scenario when you don't have someone else to lean on that knows the person that died in the same way that you do. As she says here, I'm the only person that could call my mom, mom. I'm the only person that could call my dad, dad. And there is a orphan feeling that goes along with that. There's something about feeling very lonely and very isolating in grief, which is already very isolating in itself. We talk about the PTSD of sudden losses. Both of the losses of her parents were sudden, which is just horrific. We talk about tools that she's used to help her in her grief, like EMDR and therapy. We talk about advice from a friend of hers that has really made an impact in her grief. Let the day be the day. And I will tell you that's been impactful for me to hear as I am entering my hell week (laughs) leading up into the day of my dad's death anniversary. So this interview was just so meaningful for me in so many ways. I credit a lot of where I am today to Rebecca. I credit having a clear depiction of where I want to go and knowing that it's possible, knowing that I can change grief. And I'm just so incredibly proud to call her a colleague in this grief space and now a friend. I adore her. I'm so excited for you to hear her on this episode. Like I said, there'll be another little bit that's coming up in the episode next week. So you'll definitely want to hear that. Check out the show notes for information on the book. Again, The Modern Loss Handbook, an interactive guide to moving through grief and building your resilience. It's not your typical book. You don't just sit down, open the pages and sit there and read. It really is. It's not a, it's not a workbook, but it is. There's prompts that you can write about. There's games that you can basically play with yourself. I put it this way. I had it with me on a five hour ride to LA from Florida and loved every second. I highly, highly encourage you to check it out. I will put a link to it in the show notes. It'll certainly be on my social as well. And in a few weeks when my online store opens, you will also be able to buy it there. I will be a proud seller of the Modern Loss Handbook. So a couple things for you to do when you're done this interview. One, head over to Apple Podcast, rate and review this podcast. Super helpful for me. I would love for you to give five stars. It really is helpful for the podcast to rank too so that other people that are grieving can find it and benefit from it as well. Number two, you're going to go to ssfylpodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter so you never miss anything new from SSFYL. And number three, you're going to go to the show notes and you're going to purchase the Modern Loss Handbook. Trust me, you won't regret it. All right, here we go with this amazing interview, Rebecca Sofer. now because I know you're like from Bryn Mawr area but you're all over the place as well I'm from Bella Kimwood okay and I went to uh Lower Marion High School okay yeah yeah and then- so I grew up right outside of there I my dad was in East Narton so like Plymouth meeting area and then oh. my mom lived in Lansdale I went to North Penn oh my gosh that's so funny what a yeah. small world yeah, yeah. I, I grew up uh, right off of Conshohocken State Road you know just like trolled suburban square as a teen I miss it you know but I I mean I haven't lived there in forever and I am um, <clears throat> I've been in 
New York for 20 years. But now I'm kind of, um, I'm existing in between places. We technically live in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, which which is in the Berkshires. It's like two, about like just over two hours from New York, but I still have a very small place in the city. So I go back like all the time for like my sanity, for work, for doctors. Yeah. For haircuts and stuff like that. I I was pride out of Manhattan. I mean, my kid was six and I had a three-year-old and I still, every day I'm like, how the fuck can I get back there? Right. Well, it took a global pandemic for us to leave. Like, I mean, there may not even be a world after the fall. So like, don't even do any long-term planning. Just like, (sighs) honestly, it's all good. I mean, I know it's crazy. So I'm so glad we're doing this. Yes. Thank you for letting me be audacious. Oh my God. No, thank (laughs) you. Like I said, I feel like it's always been in the back of my mind, like not even on the front of my mind. Like I need to do something with modern loss. I need to talk to Rebecca. Like I want to have her on the show. And it's, I I think it's one of those things where like I've held the jar for so long that I've made it so heavy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I normally send like a, a, like a little outline for discussion, but I was like, there's literally so many things that I want to talk about. I feel like we're going to be all over the place, but (laughs) obviously like We'll start with your story of grief. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's like dive in. I want to ask about like the PTSD of sudden death, because I literally can't believe that you went through it twice because just once was like enough for like 10 lifetimes for me. Uh-huh. And then. I'm so uh, sorry that you had it, to go through that. I mean, yeah, I can't. Mm. You too. I just, your story has been, mm. and then how you started modern loss, the book, what's next for you? What's next for grief? What, you know, what are things that you want to tackle with it? So writer of all the things you have two books. Now the first one, wildly popular modern loss was really a transformative moment for me and my grief because it was gifted to me. And I was like, wait a second, people can write about this and humor at the same time. This, ha- this, pe- oh, Oh, okay. Maybe this is something that is not going to be this enormous dark cloud over my life. And then now you have your second book coming out, which I so lucky to have received advanced copy of, and I'm obsessed. I love it. I sat with it like the whole five hour ride to LA a couple weeks ago, and you have done an incredible thing. So I can't wait to go in and talk about that. But start us off with your story of grief and everybody hang on to your seats. It's a doozy. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I, I feel like all grief stories are doozies at this point, like, because it's a, it, it feels like a doozy to the person. So it's a doozy. I'm a Philly girl. So yeah. particularly glad to be chatting with you today. I grew up uh, on the main line outside Philadelphia, then, you know, had a very happy suburban childhood. I'm an only child between my mom and my dad. My parents are named yeah, Shelby. That and is something Ray. I want to talk about too. Go ahead. Yeah. So <clears throat> my parents are named Shelby and Ray, and we were just super close. They were my people. And I'm a very social person. So they weren't my only people, (laughs) but they Mm -hmm. were my people. Like we were that close. We were like a little trio. And, um, when I was 30, I was living in New York city. I went to graduate school at the Columbia school of journalism. And I went right from journalism school to working for Stephen Colbert at the Colbert report doing, you know, political satire, AKA God's work. Let's be honest. And when I was there, you know, doing my, my tiny, tiny share in that, you know, lofty goal, I had been there for about a year and I had just turned 30 and I was in this like build mode of my life. Right. Mm -hmm, I was focused mm -hmm. on, you know, just doing all the things I had so much energy. I could afford to burn the candle at both ends. I could afford to like not exercise for three weeks and then exercise 
20 days in a row and catch up. Like it was like this, that period of time where like, you, you just find like, yourself a little bit, yeah. you get into a rhythm of things a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt like I was like finally easing at the, at the, at the age of 30, that I was finally starting to ease into adulthood, which actually makes a lot of sense when you're talking about a New Yorker, because that is like, you have like this delayed maturity when you're in mm -hmm. New York. So anyway, I was working there and I went on vacation with my parents to upstate New York, to the Adirondacks, a beautiful place called like George, where I had grown up camping, always, you know, camped on an island in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> this sounds like torture for some people. For me, it's like my heaven, no running water, no electricity. Gosh. And it was just like, wow. I know, I'm sorry. I feel you're like, I see you're, I am one of those people. Your that smile like, How is did very you survive? Right now. Um, <laughs> it's funny. I, I was dating this guy in college and I remember him telling me that he told his mom that I could join them somewhere or other because I was going camping with my family. And she said, well, Jewish girls don't camp. And I'm like, hmm, introduce her to me. Like I, I don't shower for two weeks on end. Maybe I shouldn't brag about that. But anyway, so <clears throat> I had been on this wonderful camping trip that obviously was fortuitously timed because it was the very last time that I got to spend with my parents together and my mom forever. The night that we finished up that camping trip, we packed up everything and we drove back to New York City. It was a few hour drive. My parents dropped me off at my apartment and I had them come up just to go to the bathroom and get everything ready. And I, you know, I, I, I was always someone who was like, kind of like, like I'm an emotive person, you know, like I, I'm a little sentimental and I wanted to say goodbye. I wanted to give goodbye hugs. I like ritual, you know, mm -hmm, like it didn't mm -hmm. have to be a big thing, but I needed to like mark the end of that trip because I also knew that I was going back to the studio the next day. And like the tenor of my life was so crazy hectic by that point mm -hmm. that I was already aware of how precious the time was that I could spend with my parents. Mm -hmm. Like it really did slow down when we were together on that trip. And so I gave my mom a goodbye hug. I remember, you know, telling her like, I'm nervous. The car is really packed. Please be careful. Then they, you know, they left. I gave her a kiss. I was going to see her in like, you know, at a country club, my cousin Julie was getting married like the next weekend. And I sat down and I remember opening my laptop and I was looking at emails and I had actually gotten an email from my mom's best friend who was trying to set me up with somebody. And I was trying oh, to figure wow. out if like, was I going to get pulled into like the, the, like the mother Jewish setup circle. And, <laughs> and it was at that moment, cause how can you ever forget that moment? Right. Um, right that the phone rang and I was told that there was a terrible accident on the New Jersey Turnpike and that the, the car was severely damaged, that my mom was severely damaged. My dad was screaming in the background. I was Who told called to get... you. So my dad has another son through a previous marriage who is okay. much older than I am. And we had all gone on this camping trip together. So he had been driving the car and he was the one who called me and said, okay. you know, you, you need to get to the hospital here in Princeton. And I heard my dad scream and I said, is my mom okay? Like, you have to tell me, is she okay? And he said, she's okay, but like, come, come here. And like, I, I've told this story so many times, not because I relish it. In fact, I literally hate it. Like I literally hate 
having to tell this story in well, public thank you for sharing it all here. the time. No, not like, not like asking you to appreciate it. Just more like, I want to illustrate that it still makes me want to throw up. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have like a lump in my throat it. for you right now. Yeah. Like, and I you don't know. know if it's because it's taking me back to like, I know how it is like telling that story, being back in that moment can be so painful, but it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yes. Go ahead. <laughs> it is. It's like, it's a like a time thing. machine for you. Mm-hmm. And it's a time machine for whoever you're sharing that story with, because even if it's not taking them back to like your memory, chances are it's taking them back to a traumatic memory where they yes. felt that intense fear. Like that's what happens, you know, when you share your story with someone is they actually can connect with you, but we'll get to that later. Right. <laughs> like that's like, you know teaser. what I, I, I think it is too. I think for me, I go back to that girl in that moment and feeling so, oh my God, I could literally cry right now. I mean, feeling so sad for what she's about to go through. Yeah. That, that yeah. is what gets me like right in the yeah. gut, the heart, the throat, like all of it. And like you telling me the story, like that's how I'm feeling about you. Like, I feel so sad for you because like that girl sitting on her couch that night, like has no idea what the yeah. fuck is about to hit her. Yeah. My, my biggest problem in, in life at that moment, pre pre-call, right. In the before, right. Was I was trying to figure out if I wanted to go on a date with a guy whose name was Steve Miller. And I thought that was suspicious. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and you know, I was trying to figure out what I wanted my next career move to be, you know, I had been working in a daily television show for quite some time. And I was trying to figure out like, how do you navigate that career? Because I thought I was going into journalism, but then I was like, I really wanted to work for Stephen Colbert because I I just, I adore him. I adore the impact he has on the world. And to me, that is journalism. Mm -hmm. That's like, you really need to know what you're talking about when you're making fun of it. And so, you know, my biggest struggles at that moment were like being a single 30 year old, (laughs) right. Mm -hmm. And like, what's my next career goal. And then little did that woman know that an hour later, her biggest struggle was how am I going to get through life without my mom? Yeah. yeah. Totally. You know, nothing there, else matters, you know, there's and- such a demarcation of the life before and life after. And like, doesn't it make you feel so dumb for some oh, of the stuff yeah. you worried about before? Yes. Yes. And no, yes. And no. And I will say, so I'll finish off like, you know, the death story by, I got to the hospital, bottom line, spoiler alert, my mom had died. Mm. And it was as awful a moment as you could ever imagine. And, and as you know what it feels like, and so many of your listeners know what it feels like. I ran into a hospital room like a banshee in the middle of the night in Princeton, New Jersey. By the way, I didn't even have my own car. Like my best friend had to drive me and her, oh and her husband. And I just remember silence in that hospital. And I remember thinking there's, there's no way she's alive. How could silence equate survival? And I, and she wasn't, I ran into a room. I found my dad in a bed and he said, the first thing he said was Beck, I'm so sorry. And he didn't have to say anything else. And like, I ran into the bathroom and I, oh, I just got chills laid down on the floor. And I, I definitely wasn't crying. I, I I thought I was going to throw up and that was, you know, my entry point into 
my new life, you know, my new companion loss. And, and yeah, it was awful. And I, I do think about that girl, not just the one sitting on the sofa, but I think about like the last peaceful moment that I remember of that day. And that's why I feel really lucky that I got to have this trip with my parents yeah. because I remember that morning, it was Labor Day. And I remember diving off the dock into this gorgeous lake. I mean, it really is like my place. And what was awful is that it became the place I became so scared of for so long. Really? It was like my comfort place. And then it became like the place that the font of all my grief, yeah. you know, but that morning I dove off in the, the, you know, the diving board into the lake. And I remember looking up and I remember seeing my mom and dad sitting on a rock and just like drinking morning coffee. Well, my mom, my dad didn't drink coffee. I don't know how he survived life with that, but just looking at me and like, just smiling, it was like this peaceful, like they were just enjoying the sun and watching me. And I remember like, I loved my morning swims. Cause this is like a glacial Lake and the water feels like velvet and it's also freaking freezing, but like, mm -hmm. you just get used to it. And I remember like just swimming and looking up and just not like staring at them, but I remember the moment that I, I caught their eye and they were watching me and smiling at me and proud of me and loving me. And that's the last moment that I'll ever have of that. And it's seared into my memory. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, my, my grief doozy story. Part one, part one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have a a seared memory as well. It's, it's, you know, you said you, this fortuitous trip that you had, that was so wonderful and something so, so special to you. And, and you see it now almost like it was like a, this gift that you had because like the world knew what was coming. Long story short, I, there was a family party we had, and it was just an incredible day with my dad. We were together. He was always so affectionate. We were always like making jokes and always like, I felt like we were attached at the hip this day. And I remember so vividly saying goodbye to him and just that like bear hug where, you know, it's like the yeah. whole everything. And I got in the car and I said to my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, like, I had such a good day with my dad. And he was like, really? Like, why? That's interesting. Why do you say it that way? Like, why do you think that was? I'm like, I don't know. And it's one of those things where I look back now and I'm like, oh, that's why. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm so happy that I had that. And and in some sense, it's like I had this parting hug with him and, and you telling that story about that ritual of the hug too, like, you know, we didn't know it, it wasn't the goodbye that we wanted or no. that we thought we were going to have, but, but it's what I, we got. It's what we got. And, and knowing what else could have happened. I know people who have stories of, they were in a huge fight and this and that, mm -hmm. like, I feel very lucky that I know for a fact that the very last thing I said to my mom was, I love you. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I feel, I mean, like, by the way, like I didn't get off the phone every time with her saying like, I love you, mom. We were super close, but like a lot of times it'd be like, gotta go by, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, totally. I mean, we, we didn't fight a lot, but you know, except for like, you know, when I was like a tween and teen, I could be mm -hmm. very lovely then, but you know, we were super close and, and I feel really lucky for that. And there are a lot of people who, have people die in their lives with whom they 
didn't have close relationships. And I feel like society is so quick to like overlook that. Like, well, it, like, yo, you weren't so close anyway. Maybe it's not so bad. It's like, dude, that makes it uh-huh. even worse sometimes. Yep. You like never, you then you're you're the one that opportunity standing. is gone. Yeah. You have to deal with all the stuff. And <laughs> like, you mm-hmm. have to figure out your own, not closure, that's a mythical term, but you have to come to peace with all of it yourself. Like there's no more two people in the conversation. Does that make you hyper aware of saying goodbye to other people now? Oh yeah. Oh my God. Like ask anybody, (laughs) Mm -hmm. ask anyone. I'm like, you know, I would say that like my big tell, like my big grief flag is, is car safety. I'm very, very anal about car safety. I will never move the car unless my kids are buckled in. Unless like I, if I'm in the city in New York, like I I'm the person who buckles up in the back of cabs because I'm always like, do people think this isn't a real car? Like, you right, know, like people right. just don't, but they're like, ah, it's not a real car. Cause it's like yellow. It's, it's like, yeah, they're probably like an the automobile safe on the, yeah, on the like, road. It's a real car or like an Uber. So I, you know, and I was the mom in New York where like, I was the pain in the ass mom. There would be parents who would just like out of necessity. Cause it's impossible to get around the city. Sometimes yeah. they just take an Uber, put the kid in the lap. I never like literally mm-hmm. never, not even once. So my, that's my biggest, like, you know, I would say my, my, my sensitivity factor is, is safety in cars. Um, that said, like, you know, it's, it's not because my mom wasn't being safe. She was being completely safe. She just had awful luck. So I, I feel like my only control that I have in a situation that was completely beyond my control is just make sure that like all the T's are crossed and all the I's are dotted. And then you still feel helpless, you know, you still feel helpless. And yeah, saying goodbye. It's like, oh my God, like if someone is traveling somewhere, like you better tell me you got there safely Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. or else I worry. Yeah, totally. I, the same way my husband now will text me every time he's taking off, every time he lands, every time he leaves, like the same thing. And I kind of, I've done the same thing with my mom too, because you just sit there with it. I, I mean, and and I want to, the PTSD of, of the sudden death is a whole other anatomy and that's something I want to get into. But first I want you to tell us about part two. Oh, part two. Right. We, we've had a brief respite from like, yeah. the, from death talk. So we'll go back. So I'll do like a Sophia picture it. Not Sicily, sadly, <laughs> but picture me sitting in the same apartment in New York city four years later. And I had been married for about a year to a man who my mom never met, who will never meet. My husband came home. I had the morning off work. I remember I was sitting like (laughs) in like my fluffy bathrobe. I was like, Oh, I'm going to have just like a, (laughs) like a nice chill morning. (laughs) Just kidding. Like I'm not actually instead what happened was my husband came home and shared that my dad had died and my uncle, I believe had called him and it was an act of love. It wasn't like, Oh, like you know, we don't respect her enough to tell her. It was like, no, everyone course. knew that I found out about my mom through a phone call sitting in my apartment alone of and course. nobody wanted to put me in that same situation. So it was like literally copy and paste, same apartment, different room, uh, different parent. My dad had been traveling with his lady friend. Yeah. And, and he was abroad. And he had a heart attack that morning, like very, very, very early hours of the morning and didn't live, didn't survive, died. 
I was 30 when my mom died. I was 34 when my dad died. And and, and that I, was it. I, uh, so many feelings, so many questions. I think, you know, you innately have to relate it back to yourself. Like I'm sitting here, I'm 32. I feel my dad's been gone for five years. I feel like I'm like just turning the corner of like, oh, this isn't, I'm like able to manage this, this grief. Mm -hmm. And I know what this is and I'm familiar with it now. And I've taken a few laps around and okay. I like, I cannot even fathom getting a call about my mother. Like I don't, I don't wish that on, on anybody. I, again, my heart is just sitting here like breaking for you to have had to go through that again. Not to say that anyone's loss is less or, or whatever, but this, again, the anatomy of a sudden loss is so different. And to have had that twice and to be sitting here with a smile on your face and telling these stories and how I, like, I see you out in the public and I, I know it's, it's probably so different on the inside, but you are just an incredible individual to have gone and do what you do. And I'm like, so jumping ahead of myself, but I just, I just, I like don't even ha have words for how that could happen to somebody like that. Well, thank you. First, first of all, thank you. Second, you know, we all have our things, you know, we all have our, our, our things that we carry. And sometimes it's illness and sometimes it's strife right. and sometimes it's economic uncertainty. Sometimes it's all of them together and mm -hmm. sometimes it's death loss, you know, and I have a lot of things that I carry as do we all, especially in year three of COVID. But yeah, I mean, like, it's just my details, like my particular details are that both of my people who I thought were going to be there. And I thought my mom was going to be there for a lot longer. My, my dad was much older than my mom. So like right. the joke was on me. The joke was on all of us. And we were right. always like, you know, oh, like when dad dies, blah, blah. we would like literally talk about my right. dad's impending death in front of his face. It was so inappropriate, but he didn't seem to mind. We were like, you know, we're, we should downsize now because when dad dies, right. like we have to protect like, mom I'm because dad's going like, to go first. Literally offing yeah. my dad in front, front of his face, but like. I mean, he was legitimately 20 years older than my mom. And so yeah. who would have thunk, right? And yes, I do use thunk in- My dad did all the time. He's the only, actually the only other person that I've ever heard use that. So the two of you, maybe that's my dad sneaking into this interview right now. I love it. I like, I like him already. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, it was, it was terrible. It was terrible. And like, you know, traumatic sudden loss is awful. So is prolonged anticipated loss. Right. Um, right. Everything is shit. Let's just like level the ground. hundred percent. There's no grief Olympics. When you have a sudden traumatic loss, it comes with particular things that you have to carry. You have to carry that you never got to say yeah. a goodbye that you might've tried to craft in advance. Right. You have to carry that you don't, you didn't get to tie up any loose ends. You didn't mm -hmm. get to ask any questions. You didn't get to like, you know, have them like record notes for maybe your future children one day, or like tell you like if the money's hidden in the banana stand right, or whatever, right. you know, like, which I, I think it's always hidden in the banana stand, but you, you just, you just don't get to do that stuff. You don't get to have any forethought. And that's really, really hard thing to live with. And the harder thing is to come to terms with it.
because you really do spend a lot of time living in like the if onlys and the what ifs. And it's really torturous to live in that space. And the kindest thing that you can do for yourself when you do live in that space is come to a, you know, a a place where you're like, okay, like this happened, you know? Yeah. It is what it is. The, the PTSD with something like that for me was, was very intense. I heard you on another interview talk about how you slept with the phone by your head for the longest time after your mom because of getting that call. And that is something that so rang true with me. I mean, it was very hard. Like I, people at work would just know that basically if a family member texted me, even if it was just to say like, Hey, what's up? How are you? I'd be like, I have to leave this meeting. I have to say, I just have to make sure everything's okay. Exactly. And we were like, so traumatized from it for a long time. And even just the other day, a cousin of mine texted me and just said, hi. And like, isn't that the cardinal right. rule that you just like, you're don't like, what's do that? wrong? Right. Yeah, I know. I mean, How, like, honestly, I'm annoyed with her. Like, I, uh, literally, yeah, exactly. like, <laughs> I mean, really, exactly. it's like, I, whenever I get high, I'm like, what's, what's wrong? Right. A hundred percent. What's wrong? And like and my, my, my best friend, my best friend, Taifa, who was the one who drove me drove to the you? hospital the night my mom died, her husband, Paul, like there, we are seared together for eternity because yeah. Ty and Paul drove me to the hospital that night. She has twin girls who just turned 10. Now my mom died 15 years ago and it was like five years after my mom's death. And I will never forget that when Paul called me when Ty was due and she was like in the hospital, she had preeclampsia. So it was already kind of worrisome, Stressful. but yeah. the very first thing he said to me was he calls me and he says back. And I said, yeah. And he goes, are you sitting down? No. And I said, why Paul? what's wrong? Like, and I literally, I think I had like a heart attack and like, and I'm like, what? And I was like on 28th and Broadway in like blazing sunlight. And I just started like freaking out. And then he goes, our babies are here. And I'm like, Oh no, fuck you, Paul. Fuck you. <laughs> and sorry, am I allowed to curse on this pod? Of course we fucking love cursing uh, here. I, I, I think I actually said to this brand new dad, fuck you, Paul, because I honestly thought I, my heart was like seized, you know? And I'm like, Oh my God, don't ever do that to anybody ever who has yeah. had like trauma or the, like, know? can you talk? No. Yeah. That's can you no. Mm-mm. Yeah. I mean, yes. At this moment, can you not bury the lead who died? No. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Like yep. don't, don't pussyfoot around. Yeah. I'm uh-huh. very much like, just please tell me what's going on. Like I do not like when people ease me into things. I just need to know. No, feel wrong. like people are so protective of me. Yeah. Because and of what the I've gone through. Effect, so, right? so, right. So I am so suspicious right, of right. any kind of like <laughs> soft launch of a, like, yeah, yeah. News, yeah. No, no soft so launches. Like, just, like, yeah. just, just, just hit me over the head with that anvil. Cause I'm, uh-huh. I, cause it's like, I'm expecting it anyway. Just like, yeah. get it, get it done with. And, and that's a crappy way to live, you know, like always kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, but in, in a way it's how I live. And in a way it's kind of like, I mean, yeah, like you're looking at me, I'm smiling and I'm talking about like my parents who died. I hate that yeah. my parents died. I don't take that lightly. I, I, I fucking hate it. But I mean, I, I am living a life. I'm living my life. You know, yeah. it's not a perfect life. It's, it's life. Life is messy. Life is full of an enormous amount of pain and shades of gray and uncertainty and regret and nostalgia. But it's also if you let it be and you work on it. Mm-hmm. And it it's full of hope and 
joyful moments and meaning and accomplishments. If, if you work on it, you know, you need to want it. It's not just going to like sit down in your lap and start like caressing you behind the ear. You, yes. You've got to want it. you got to work on it. And by the way, it's not like the, a secret. This isn't like the secret. I mean, like work on it. Like I had a, a ton of therapy. <laughs> there was yep. a time, there was a period, specific period of time when I had a ton of meds. And then I had a ton of coping ne- mechanisms that I, yeah. that I had to develop. I had no yeah. choice. It was like, okay, it's choice time. Are we here? Or are we not? Okay. We're yeah. here. Great how are we going to be here? Because like the previous me was someone who loved laughing and loved joy and loved all that stuff and was still super neurotic and super, all this stuff. Like I was definitely not a perfect person, highly fallible human being before my parents died. Um, when they died, I would say that it like exaggerated my quirks, but then it also kind of gave me some superpowers. Yeah. You know, and, and one of those superpowers is like, I, I literally know that I don't know a lot. Yeah. I literally right. know. Right. That I can't or that I have no control. Yeah. Anything. I yes. know it. Yeah. And that's that like, work. you know, that's really enabled me to just be like, you know, eh, let's just go for it. Right. Yep. I just told you, um, before we started recording that, like my, my husband and I just like spontaneously bought tickets to Rome intended, yes. like, let's hope I get there. So, yes. you know, just start, start booking those trips now. But yeah, I mean, like we just spontaneously booked this thing and we're like, I don't know, is April the best time, blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, we both were like, you know what? the kids have a vacation week. We're getting no work done anyway. Yeah. We don't know what's happening with the pandemic. We don't know what's happening with anything. Carpe, not to be all Roman, but like carpe, literal carpe I mean, like seize the day, seize the time Mm -hmm. while Mm -hmm. you have it, while it's right in front of you. Because yes, like COVID and this pandemic and a war and everything is, is, is crazy and things that are daunting but also something as simple as getting into a car, like your poor yeah. mother yeah. that yeah. happens every single day. So yeah. it's, it's, you know, that should be a life lesson for yeah. always. Or cooking not eggs. Even just... I mean, like to just, just standing, you know, how many right. people have lost people who are just like in the kitchen yeah. making French toast. And then the yeah. French toast is still in the pan and they're on the floor, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy. You yeah. know, this life thing is not for the weak. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You've heard me talk about how therapy has been an absolute life changer for me. Like I legit don't know where I'd be without it. So if you're on the hunt for a therapy partner, you need to check out BetterHelp. It offers virtual services, assesses your personalized needs, and matches you with a licensed professional therapist that you can start talking to within 48 hours. And it's even more affordable than traditional counseling. Speaking of affordability, they're allowing me to gift you with 10% off your first month because I love you and I want to see you get the help that you need. You absolutely owe it to yourself to seek the support of a licensed therapist. You probably already do your banking online, read your news online, and do so many other things online. So go ahead and take care of that aching heart. Again, code SSFYL can get you 10% off your first month. They really make it so simple. So go check it out. Betterhelp.com SSFYL. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash S-S-F-Y-L. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Oh my God, this life thing, let me tell you, it is one hell of a ride. You mentioned the work, which I love that you did because it is so true. I think it's so scary to say, I think it's so 
painful for people have to imagine that they have to put in work at a time where they don't even feel like lifting their head from the pillow. And that's fine. I think honestly, treating yourself to that time on the pillow is the work that you need to put in. Sometimes you need to recognize that it's okay for me to take this time. It's okay for me to spend some time grieving really deeply and not just pushing through because I think I should. And because society tells me to, but then eventually you do have to get onto some other aggressive work. And like you said, it's figuring out your coping mechanisms, figuring out whether therapy and medication are right for you. And spoiler alert, both were amazing and right for me. In the work that you've done over the last 15 and and 11 years since the loss of your parents, have you found any anything that has helped you cope with that PTSD of getting a call or that PTSD of losing another person that you love so dearly? so that it, yeah. it doesn't strangle you every minute of life. Yeah, I did EMDR, which What's I that? EMDR oh. is eye movement desensitization. Oh my god, I'm like so I can never say that word. Desensitization, desensitization. reprocessing. Okay? okay? So EMDR and I really want your um listeners to hear about it. So I'm going to say it one more time. Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Okay. It's a form of psychotherapy. It basically you're asked to recall traumatic experiences while doing like a bilateral stimulation in your brain, right. Or like side, just that's why it's called EMDR side to side eye movement, or like doing tapping on either side of your body. So by that's what bilateral stimulation is. And the thought is that by the way, a, not, not a scientist, B, not a therapist, never should be like literally journalist here. So that's the way I'm explaining it. Do I know how the sauce is made? No, but I do know that when you do this, because it happened to me and you work hard enough on it and you go deep into pretty difficult memories, like the idea is that if you bring up a trauma, traumatic memory, traumatic moments enough, and you do these stimulations that eventually the charge lessens. So like when you think about like, oh, that moment, you know, like, like I told you earlier, I yeah. do not relish talking about the night my mom died. I did not sign up to do this in my life. This is not what I thought I'd be doing, by the way. Mm -hmm. Like, I, you know, like this is, I would much rather be like doing political satire, but I'm not, I'm doing this. So, but I can talk about it and still get upset and still like want to throw up but also feel like I can get through the conversation and that I'm not being pulled back into that moment in some sort of time machine. Mm -hmm. And that like mm -hmm. the record isn't coming to a screeching halt. And I can say that was like the worst experience ever and not get stuck in that feeling of, oh my God, that was the most traumatic yeah. experience. Like feel like I'm back in that moment in that trauma. And I can say that was the worst experience oh my gosh, thank God I'm here right now. Like, thank goodness yeah. I'm here. Like I can feel the ground under my feet. I can look around, I can see where I am, you know, and I can think of things that pull me into the present and, and they enable me to like, you know, my, my EMDR, um, therapist who was an amazing social worker in Chelsea, who did a lot of work with like the gay men's health crisis and with 9-11 survivors, rape victims, domestic violence victims. He, you know, described it as like, you know, the, it's like if you keep trying to walk out of a door and like your sweater keeps getting caught on the hinge or something, this unhooks your sweater and it mm. lets you pass through the door. And, and I really, you know what? I love a good metaphor. Again, 
I'm not a scientist. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a researcher. I don't know how this works, but it works for me work for me, uh, along with finding the right talk therapist, along with finally getting my shit together enough to speak up for what I needed at work, along with figuring out how to draw boundaries with certain people in my life who I didn't think were really helping me and actually who I thought might be actually hindering me, Mm -hmm. along with figuring out who else I could use in my life who might be able to support me and talk about stuff. And, you know, so it's like, that's what there's no silver bullet, you know, it's, it's a mix of things that that's, it's kind of like when we talk about COVID, it's like, no people, it's not just about getting vaccinated. No, like (laughs) I've gotten the flu having a flu vaccine, you know, it's about doing all the other things. Like if cases are high, you should probably wear a mask and maybe you want to distance, or maybe you want to test before getting together with people. It's like mitigation practices for me, living with grief and living with dealing with my PTSD was mitigation. It was like a team effort. I'm glad you're in a place now where you can talk about it. And I mean, that's, I, I kind of feel like I'm in a similar place and it sometimes can be worse. Sometimes can be can be fine and it, it, it's all crazy it's all this is all one one wild ride as we've talked about i i want to talk about you being an only child between your parents because i am too and i think that's been one of the most difficult parts of it for me in that i don't necessarily have someone to share those feelings with there's no other person that had that relationship to to my dad the way that I did and similarly like to you with your your mom because the brother you spoke of was from your dad correct right yeah right yeah no Um, literally literally not one person in the world yeah and which is really it's ironic because she was so incredibly beloved like I mean she she was she is still irreplaceable to many many people in the world but she was only my mom I yeah. was the only person in the world who could call her that. And oh like, my God. You know, Why are you have it keep getting me today? <laughs> oh, I just felt that in my throat again. I know. I know what you mean. Yeah. I mean, that's why oh. when, when my son, he calls me Rebecca, it's like super annoying. Your son does? Yeah, he's eight because he's like eight going on 36. And he's like, <laughs> Rebecca, like when he always, you know, I work a lot and I run this whole community. It's a lot of work and I'm on my computer, I'm on my phone. And he's like, so annoyed. Like his biggest dream is for a Mack truck to run over my phone. That, that, that would be like uh-huh. best day ever. And so he, he, he calls me Rebecca. And so he's like, Rebecca, time to get off your phone, Rebecca. And I'm like, Noah call me mommy. You're the only person who can call me this. And he's like, no, Elliot can call you that too. I'm like, you know what I mean, dude? Like, just just please call me this. I need to know that, like, that this is our dynamic, you know, because I feel really grateful to have been able to reestablish a parent child dynamic, just going in like the other order of things. Yeah. Um, which by the way, doesn't fix everything. You yeah. know, it doesn't fix everything. And being an only child is really hard. I mean, also, so is having siblings because it's like, hundred percent. it's like, I, I just want to be clear when I talk about how hard things were for me, I'm not trying to negate anyone else's experience or say exactly. that like, just because I'm an only child, it's harder. No, it's just different. People mm-hmm. have siblings who all grieve in a completely different way or like they grieve together, but maybe, maybe there's like strife over, you know, the estate or what, I mean, like it's always something, or maybe there is some, you know, resentment over maybe who did more caregiving. I mean, look, this stuff is 100%. super sticky. So 
it's not as we said at the beginning it all sucks it, it all, all sucks. sucks it's equal opportunity <laughs> suckage right like you all get the medal in like the shit award right you get we all get the shittiest prize um but you know for for being an only child like yeah it's a particular loneliness because it's just the literal reality that like even if you have like the world's worst sibling, you can probably say to them, remember when, Yeah. um, and I don't have anybody who I can say that to. And I also don't have anybody who can remind me like no one is left to be like, God, you were such a pain in the ass when you were, you know, 12. Yeah. I mean, like I actually have enough memory to know that I was, but like, or just like when you were four, oh my God, you had the cutest thing that you used to say or whatever, or even like medical history. Like I don't know any of it. I have no mm -hmm. one to remind me. And the thing that I feel luckiest about is that my mom was such a huge chronicler of history and she was so anal. Like she was someone who would like send me newspaper clippings. Right. And then like, not only highlight the things that she wanted me to read from the Philly Inquirer, but also then like circle them, like just in case it wasn't <laughs> clear that the highlighted text was what she wanted me to direct my attention to. She would also circle it. Um, and so she was like really great at chronicling. So, you know, a lot of the pictures, lot they have a lot of ex, they have a lot of like notes in the back. And thank God, because I have no freaking clue like yeah. where something took place. That's amazing. I, I, yeah. I don't have recall like that. And so, you know, I would say, and I have spoken about this on on recent podcasts elsewhere that losing your witnesses is really hard. It's really, really, really hard. It's really hard, not just for your history, but for your future. Yeah. Because you're like, God damn, like, oh, they're never going to witness, really... they're never going to witness wow. how far I've come or have the context or have the, can contrast and compare where I came from or, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. That's a hard, mm -hmm. hard thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I certainly feel that with my dad because my parents were divorced. So like, while my mom has a bank full of history my time with my dad was so different mm -hmm. and now right i don't have anybody to go back to to ask those things yeah yeah um, and, and by the way i want to say that like i i was speaking with a reporter a few weeks ago whose mom had recently died and her dad had died years ago and they had been pretty estranged and she was kind of like i mean i was i'm flattered because i definitely don't have my shit together every minute of the day <laughs> especially this week, but she was like, God, it just feels really good to talk to someone yeah. who has lost who both gets parents, it. who yeah. is like upright, who is like living a life. And I'm like, my life is not perfect. You know, like it is a very human life, but just knowing that I could be an example of showing and not telling someone yeah. that you can be out in the world and having your life when this shit sandwich has been served to you that felt very meaningful because that's what I really needed for myself. And I, I didn't have that a hundred percent because even what you're saying, like just being upright, it doesn't need to be perfect. We're not looking for perfection. When you're no. in that acute grief, you're not looking for things to be perfect. Again, you're looking to just like perform normal daily yeah. activities yeah. You're, and you're to looking, see somebody you're, like yourself out there doing not, it. You're looking to like, not feel like a walking Picasso, right? Yes. Like yes. I, I, I was in Barcelona in the fall as like a mental health trip, like literally went alone. Like my husband Good is amazing. You. And yeah, I, I told him via calendar invite. I was like, um, <laughs> I'm going away. and, and 
thank goodness. He was like, just go. And I went and, you know, I speak fluent Spanish and I lived in Spain for quite some time. And so it was like a really happy place for me to go back to. I like really needed it. And yeah, I took myself to Picasso museum in Barcelona. I was looking at the portraiture and I was like, yeah, that's grief. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just looking at these portraits of women, these cubist portraits. And I was like, cubism is like, wow. It's like the most approximate art form for me, like visual art form to depict grief when you're so out of sorts, like you feel like every body part is in the wrong place, Yes, you know? Yes. And you don't so know which end is up. You don't, you don't. And like, and, and, and you just, like I said, yeah, it's just like, you, you just don't want to feel like a walking Picasso. Like you just mm-hmm. want to feel you're like, Oh, it's like, at least are all my body parts in the right place? Is my deodorant in the right part that it should be in? You know, did I do basic dental hygiene? Okay. Like, okay, great. Yeah. I've done my minimum. How has the loss that you've experienced and this, you know, idea of not having anybody of your own left affected your relationship with your in-laws? Because for me, that's been a big thing <laughs> where they are, maybe this needs to be an entirely other. You have chutzpah. You have chutzpah. <laughs> I mean, like I even still have my mom, but I think like my, I'm so lucky that my in-laws are like the nicest people on the planet and have, even before we were like engaged because, you know, we, I was just dating my husband at the time when my, when my dad died, that they were like wrapped their arms around us in in the the biggest way possible brought us in made me feel like a part of the family still continually to this day family 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 and i know when i'm in a phase of grief when i can't even receive that and instead it pisses me off and i'm like you are not my family i have a family he may just be dead but he's still my family and don't try to take that away from me don't try to replace that I know that's not what they're doing, but like, I can't feel that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that it's hard. My, my people are gone and my, my in-laws are lovely human beings, but they're not my parents. Yeah. They didn't grow up in the same place. They don't have the same personalities. Ironically, my husband is an only child. I kind of thought that I would like marry into the Brady bunch. Wow. I just felt like I was like, oh, like the universe is gonna send me literally someone with like eight amazing siblings and like 10 dogs and cartoon (laughs) birds who make breakfast in the morning. I just really (laughs) thought that I was gonna just wow, I can't believe that you didn't get that. (laughs) Yeah. So I didn't get yeah. And so I it was really, you know, you you you. I mean, you, you are with who you choose to be with, you know, it just was the DD and you, it just happened to be that he did not have siblings and, or does not have siblings, you know? And so for me, that was kind of like, oh, I thought I was going to maybe feel like I was in like a big family again, but I didn't get that. And, and it just kind of solidified that, like, you know, your family is who you make it. Mm-hmm. And so my friends are my family and and other relatives like are my, I mean, I have a second cousin in LA who, or maybe she's even third, like who even knows? Right. I mean, you have to be like a PhD, like a JD PhD to understand the difference between all the, all the degrees of cousins. But I think she's a third cousin and she's like my sister. You make your family out of who feels like family. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest piece of advice that I can give to anybody I made some of my best, best friends after my parents died. And a lot of them were people who really get it. 
Yeah. And I don't think I would have ever met them otherwise ever. Yes. Yep. Take me into the world that is modern loss. How did you come up with it? You said earlier, like you just wanted to be this beacon and, and, and show people, not just tell people that it's okay and you're able to move on. And you have certainly done that. Like I said, for me specifically, I know so many other people too. And this new book that you have out, which is, is just amazing. I absolutely love how interactive it is. I absolutely love how like literally 20 pages in, you had me thinking about parts of grief that I hadn't even tapped into in five years and in such a delicate way that it didn't seem jarring. Like, I think that might sound like, oh my God, I don't know if I want, no, it's fantastic. And again, everything with you weaved in with humor and sensitivity and fun, but let's be serious and let's make sure you're really tackling this. And I see this for anybody at any stage, whether you just lost somebody this month, whether it's been 10 years, this is for you, this book, it is a handbook. It is a, a guide. It is an assistant to help you navigate grief. Can you, can you be my publicist, please? Yes. yes. Beautifully. <laughs> that was beautifully described. And I, 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 I love the way you, you put that. And I'm so grateful that, that you like the book. I really like it. I do. Like, and and I, I say that because I'm, I'm a quite self-deprecating person. Like I, I don't have a lot of confidence when it comes to the things that I create, but when I feel very driven, when you're like, oh, it's coming out of me, you're like, you know what, then you have to have the, you have to have the guts to put it out there because if not, it's just going to eat you up from inside. And that was the case with this book, which I, you know, had already wanted to write it before COVID. And then I got wrapped up in some projects and then like, lo and behold, a pandemic happened. And then the needs of the modern loss community ballooned so much. There was so much resurfaced grief. There right. was so much re-triggered grief. There were so many people who we're, we're grieving and then other the people were dying. I was just yeah. like so insane. I was so overwhelmed. And so of course my reaction was as somebody who was now a virtual teacher to a three and six year old at home and trying oh, to, you know, God work on you. modern law stuff. And then had a husband who had COVID the first, you know, he was the first person I knew as was my six year old. I mean, it was just such a mess. Of course, my next reaction was like, I have to write this book because <laughs> mm -hmm. that all that free time I had, but right, right. I, I had to, it was coming out of me. And I was like, you know, I've just learned so much and so many people are asking for like guidance and not like, tell me what to do as the only thing as the one true thing to do. I just told you there's no one true thing. Like right. what works for me may not work for you. You know, not everybody needs like EMDR, like not everybody needs to be on Xanax for a couple. No, the, the whole world should be yeah. on Xanax. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I, I take that back. But like, you know, I mean, what works for me doesn't necessarily work exactly for somebody else, but I have a variety of things that work. I know that grief messes with your sleep and dreams. I know that grief messes with your entire physical experience. I know that grief messes with your friendships and your intimate relationships and your ability to figure out how to do your career mm -hmm. and how to get through work. And I know that you struggle with figuring out how to stay connected to your person after they die and figure out ritual and deal with anniversary days. And I know that all these things are very real things that you go through. And so I was like, I'm going to write about them and I'm going to share 
what I know, what I've learned from the community, what I've learned from different experts who have really taught me over the years. I mean, I work with an, an enormous amount of phenomenal people who have lots of initials after their names, and I'm just going to put it in one book. And, you know, it's not a workbook. Some people have been like, oh, I can't wait to get your workbook. As you said, it's a, it's a handbook. It's a guide. It's, it's literally like a couple hundred pages long, but it's a thing that you can write in. There are different mm. parts there. Which exercises. I loved that. Yeah, I you can just that because take pen to paper, like rip it. Literally, I don't know if you got yeah. to just a page where I literally tell you yeah. to just rip out, rip the page out and do something with it. I wanted it to feel like a very dynamic experience to engage with this book. Mm. And I wanted it to feel like something that could be your friend and that you could treat like shit. Like you could throw it against the wall if you want, you know, get angry. I don't want to because it's so beautiful. (laughs) It is pretty. It's really pretty. They did a really good job on it. It felt like I could have written this in 2019 and wanted to, and in early 2020. And instead I didn't because that's just the way the cookie crumbled. I wrote it when I wrote it and it was the hardest thing that I ever did because it was like last winter in the darkest depths of everything for everybody. But I feel like it came out in such a richer way because of it. I was surrounded by so much pain in my life, in the stories that I, I have to hold for like the modern loss community in what I was reading in the news, right. Suffering I was seeing out there. And also in like the beauty that I was seeing and how people manage to like level up for themselves and mm-hmm. for others. For others, yeah. Yeah. And and so I really feel like I had this idea for the book. And I saw, you know, when you write a book, you normally have to write like a 60 page proposal. You basically have to like write the book and write then the you sell first. the book and then yeah. you write the book. But, you know, I had written sample chapters a couple of years ago and everything. And I remember while I was writing it, I was like, wait, what's coming out here? And I remember texting, I will name drop because he's like, I, one of the best people I, I I adore him, my very dear friend, Tim Fetterly, who he has a movie on Disney plus now called better Nate than ever a musical. Oh, yeah. He's like one of my favorite people in the world and has, I, the reason I'm name checking him is because he believed in modern loss when barely nobody believed in modern loss. When I launched this with my friend, Gabby, more than eight and a half years ago, he believed in what I was doing and the message that needed to be out there when everybody else was like, that's so weird. Like that is so creepy. Why would you want to do that? And I was like, dude, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I need it. So maybe someone else needs it. And so I, I remember telling him, like texting him and saying like, I don't know, like this is different things are coming out from what I thought. And he just said back, let the book be the book. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ah, let the book be the book. <laughs> right. That's simplest like, advice, but yeah. sometimes it's just like the right thing strikes the right chord. Yeah. And it did. And I just kind of was like, yeah, I'm going to say what I have to say here and then we'll figure it out. And I say that also because it kind of reminded me of the best thing that I was told when you're like bracing yourself for like a trigger day, right? You know, mm-hmm. this is like spring. There's a lot of stuff on the horizon, a lot of mm-hmm. Hallmark holidays. I'm in, I'm in my grief season. Yeah. Great, I have season, right? like birthday, I call it, death anniversary, uh, Father's Day, bam, right. bam, bam. Yeah, exactly. I call it anniversary season and it sounds mm-hmm. so cheerful and it's like so painful, right? Mine is um September through December. <laughs> okay. right? yeah. I have like mom's death day, which also, Hey, so fun. It's labor day. Everyone's having beer oh, and geez. celebrating. And then it's like, 
my dad's birthday, my mom's birthday, it's all the Jewish holidays. And it's like more Jewish holidays, Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, New Year's, like let's rinse and repeat and do it all again. Uh, Oh, and my dad's death day too. Like they all died within that period. But, you know, I, I remember the best thing that I was told by someone who I've never met in person who just posted it on like the peer to peer modern loss Facebook group, which let the day be the day. And I wanted to share this because I, it, it's so helpful to me. Like, you know, I feel like when you're living with a looming thing that's coming down the pike, you brace yourself for a really long time. It's not just that like Mother's Day is going to suck. It's yes. like the two months before Mother's Day. Is yes. Suck. And, and then probably, the hangover after. Right. Exactly. It's like, it's not the day, like the day is probably going to be fine because you've already tortured yourself enough, but it really is about letting the day, like, you know what, take every day as it comes is today hard. Let it be hard. Don't assume that tomorrow is going to be just as torturous. If today, tomorrow's a little easier. Oh my God. Just pull, hang on to that. Hang Mm -hmm. on to the ease. You know, Mm -hmm. I promise it'll be harder again. Don't worry. Like you're going to feel grief again, but like really about like, you may be surprised when some things end up feeling more manageable because they should, you deserve for them to feel more manageable. That's what living with loss across the long arc should be Yeah, is, is the, the, the right to let the day be the day. That's yeah. So true. I, you're really like striking chords with me because I think I spent a lot of my first years figuring I need to plan this perfectly so that I don't feel horrible, so that I feel like I acknowledged the day, acknowledged my loss, you know, did all of the things right, and then I can walk away feeling very good about it. And yeah. that never fucking happened. Yeah. And I've learned that like, if I just don't spend so much time thinking about how to make it perfect and how to make myself okay, and I just let it be and whether that's, I actually feel fine that day, or I spend the entire day curled up in a ball, hysterically crying, like, okay, that's just what it needed to be. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And look, I have an amazing friend and she's, she's become big on TikTok and she's like, why are you not on TikTok? And I kind of am, but I'm not like, I'm, I'm going to get, get better at it. Too. I'm going to get yeah. there. It's like, geez, like, oh my God, one more Anna, thing I'm like barely God. coming to you right now. Like I can't even get through like Bridgerton because I keep falling asleep. I mean, not because it's not scintillating, let's be honest, but her friend, her name is Priya Alpern and she's a trauma therapist. She actually specializes in EMDR and we became friends because our kids were in preschool together. And it just so happened that we like, Aww. were like copacetic and we're, we're like literally like work twin, like, just like, it's like, oh my God, it's like, I met my, my, my soulmate with work, Mm -hmm. but she's also like, happens to be one of my best friends now. And she always says sometimes self-care looks like the double cheeseburger and fries. Yes. You know, it's like, you have to, you can't say, listen to yourself. It shouldn't be always like, oh, I should do yoga or like, oh, I should do mindfulness. Yeah. 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 Like those definitely help sometimes some people. And we do grief yoga, modern loss. We do mindfulness. I'm a huge fan of mindfulness and I, it, I fail at it nine out of 10 times. And then the one time it works, oh gosh, thank goodness it works, you know? And so sometimes you just need to like do the double cheeseburger, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm in Massachusetts now and cannabis is highly legal. And I, I definitely don't use it that much because I'm, I keep forgetting and I'm busy. You know, I literally keep forgetting, <laughs> but like, you know, it's like very, every, every so often it's like, you know, 
I could just take a gummy, you know, like that mm-hmm. could be my self-care. I just right. keep forgetting. And also I fall asleep, but you have to you like, can't stay awake long enough. Yeah. Like you have to just embrace this, like, let the day be the day, not just in terms of like actions, but in terms of feelings, you know, and mm-hmm. accept that like, whatever is happening, it's okay to examine and sit with, it's okay for it to be, you know, yeah. and it's all going to pass, not just the, the good stuff, but also the bad stuff too. Yeah. What a beautiful, beautiful note to end on, even though I don't want to end because I feel like I could sit here and talk with you for days on end. You are so wonderful. So fabulous. So much fun. I would love to do this again. <laughs> let's 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 do it in person. Let's let's yeah. let's definitely do this in person. I, I just love what you're doing. Your energy jumps off the screen and doing it as a new mom. I mean, like you get all the gummy bear prizes. Thank and- you. Which kind of gummies are we talking? <laughs> you know, I used to think that they were gross. I did not know about their existence until a few years ago, but I chocolate covered gummy bears are actually a thing in the world and they sound like they should be disgusting. They do sound like truly not. And the key Mm. is you got to put them in the fridge or else like they are gross. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for being here today. Tell everybody where they can find the book because it is available today, May 17th. Yes, here we go. I know it's crazy. So this is coming to you on my book birthday, which is so great. I always wanted a May birthday. It is available. It's called the Modern Loss Handbook, an interactive guide to moving through grief and building your resilience. It is available wherever books are sold. Hey! As of today, go to your favorite bookseller, go to the indies, please go to the indies, ask for it, ask if they carry it. If they don't carry it, ask them to carry it. You know, little things go, go a long way, especially when it comes to small booksellers. You know, if they hear that somebody's interested in a title, they might think, you know, maybe I'll order another copy of it. And for authors, that's a really big deal because this is not a wealth generating endeavor. This is like, I needed to write this book and I want people to be helped by it because I truly believe they can be. And so consider buying it for yourself. As you said, it literally can help at any point in your loss. This is the book that I wish somebody would have handed me after my mom Mm -hmm. died instead of 10 chicken soup for the soul versions that ended up as doorstop. Sorry, they did. This is the book that I wish I could have given to people. Really. It's the book I wish I could have like in papyrus um, or paper source. It's, It's the thing I wish would have been near the sympathy cards. And I hope this book helps whoever's listening find me. I'm at modernloss.com. If you go to the homepage there, you can have the option to sign up for our newsletter, which I, I love every month. It's I do wonderful. live with yeah. somebody with like a different notable figure, had Cynthia Nixon and Stacey London and Michael Cruz Kane, who writes for Colbert. So like really great people that we just do deep conversations with. And then of course we're on the gram, we're on Twitter. And, and what I really love is that on every channel, it's a different type of conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Like every channel has a different type of like tone. And so just come one, come all, you know, come to what resonates with you and, and don't come to what doesn't. We at Modern Loss are big proponents of saying, fly whatever flag you need to fly in your loss, as long as it's not hurting you or anybody else. Just you do you. No apologies. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much for being here. We're going to be watching what's going on with you and Modern Loss. And everyone go out and get the book. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Head over to Instagram to follow more at So Sorry with Gianna. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave that five-star review. I would love you for it. 
more to come on this season of So Sorry for Your Loss, so stay tuned.